Hey guys, welcome to today's podcast. Um, this is actually my first ever podcast and I've been freaking out for the last 10 minutes because I just don't know how to start it. I don't, I don't know how to do it. There's no how to do a podcast. The reason why I kind of wanted to start a podcast is because, you know, I do YouTube, I do Instagram, I used to do a bit of TikTok and I want to go more into detail on certain things that I've been through or experiences I want to share about. And I feel like with YouTube, you know, let's say I do a vlog of 24 hours. I've got to crop it to like a 15, 20 minute video. Sometimes I do half an hour, but still there's 24 hours to the day. And I just always feel like I'm editing it to make it engaging to an audience. Um, so with a podcast, I just want to be able to chat. I want Anna to come out, chat about everything. I feel like for the first episode, it's a good idea to start right at the beginning, childhood, upbringing, everything along those lines. Um, and I will be going more into detail on certain things that I've been through in other podcast episodes, but this one's more of like a general timeline just because I don't think necessarily everyone knows what I've been through or yeah, just things that have happened. So yeah, if we start from day dot, um, I was actually born in Belgium. That's where my parents were at the time. My mum and dad actually split apart before I was born. Funny little story. My mum sat down with my dad and said, um, oh, we've got something to tell each other. They both had different things to tell each other. And mum goes, oh, you go first. And my dad goes, I'm going to leave you. And my mum goes, I'm pregnant. So <laughs> right there and then, that's how it started. And then my dad moved away to the Caribbean and we stayed in Belgium. So the first two years of my life, I was growing up in Belgium, first words were French. I don't really remember much of it. However, parts of my memories do form because we've been there, well, we've gone back to Belgium quite a few times. Yeah, I, I think as I started getting nearer to like two years old, my mum said I started being like, dad, or where's that kind of person in my life? You know, just saying like, dada, or who's that? Um, so she was like, right, let, let's go reunite them. So we actually moved to the Caribbean when I was two years old. I've also got a sister, she's three years above me. So she was probably like five at the time. Back with my dad, I was there two till six years old. So four years living in the Caribbean. And it was honestly, it was really nice. Yeah, it was definitely a different upbringing maybe, but it was just nice, you know, when we finished school, like kindergarten, we'd go on the beach, eat watermelon, play in the sea. Weekends, we'd just be at the beach all day. In terms of my parents, if I could, let's say, explain my relationship with them, my mom is like, my mom, like, she is just completely there for me. I can go to her and tell her how I'm feeling and she's gonna, she's gonna listen to me. Sometimes I see relationships with parents. You, know, you could tell them how you feel and maybe they won't completely understand or anything like that. Not saying my mom understands everything I tell her, but she's willing to maybe like adapt to things. Now, in terms of my dad, obviously I didn't have him in the first two years that I grew up. I was basically the youngest daughter, cute, smiley, perfect little cute child kind of vibe. Um, and that's what younger Anna understood to basically get my dad's attention, you know? don't cry, don't misbehave. My dad had quite a temper, so I never wanted to make him like raise his voice or anything like that. So it was very much, I guess that's where my people-pleasing tendencies come in because I was kind of shaped to, if you don't cry and if you're a perfect cute little child, then, and you do things right and, and you're good at dance and you do gymnastics and you know, all that stuff that like little girls do, then you'll be liked or, I'll get attention. And that's, I think, where me and my sister's relationship actually started to have difficulties because she had my dad in the first few years of her life. And then basically in her head, when I came along, the relationship with her dad also had some difficulties. Well, he left. 
So I don't know whether she attaches me to that. Um, but then also because I was two different people at my mum's house and at my dad's house, she saw that, right? She was the only one that was going to my mum's with me and going to my dad's with me. Um, well, both of our parents. So she would see the difference in personality changes. With my mum, I'd be very much authentic Hannah. If I wanted to cry, I would cry. If I wanted to have a hissy fit, whatever. And then when I'm at my dad's, I was this perfect little child, whereas she pretty much stayed the same. Meg was Meg. But yeah, she's always been there for me. And we've always stuck together. I went to this Dutch school, so I learned a bit of Dutch. They also spoke Papimento, which is like a mixture of Spanish, Portuguese, Dutch, English, well, not really English, um, in Aruba. And then at six years old, basically we moved back to England without my dad. And this was the point where we had no contact with him. We moved to England and basically for the next four years, so till I was 10 years old, I probably called my dad once a year on my birthday. So I really had no contact. Well, he didn't call me. I don't exactly know how I coped with it. A lot of just pushing down. Yeah, a lot of suppressing. You know, when you're so young, you don't really know what to do. Because my dad basically had the money within the relationship in this period of my life. Um, moving to England, single mum, we, I think the first year we stayed at my auntie's, or like the first six months, then we moved into someone's attic, and then we ended up renting a place, a very small little place. Um, my mum was working a lot of the time. And yes, that was kind of, I, I definitely had that single mum upbringing. I don't really know how else to describe it, um, very money conscious. I remember when we moved to England and I started at this little primary school, um, I think it was like Catholic or whatever. And I was just, my mum cut my hair really short when I was younger. So I had this like boy haircut. I refused to wear a skirt because I hated wearing tights and it was winter. So I got put in these boys trousers. I was literally in the boys uniform with the boys haircut. I had a funny accent because I kind of spoke. I had an American accent. Um, with English as well. It wasn't great. Um, and I was just there like a little kiddo at school and everyone had really, well not everyone, obviously we we're only six years old, but everyone had their little friendship groups. And basically what I remember learning from a very young age is I was kind of like class clown, but never really pushed it to be the bad kid. Like I was also quite good with, um, I was very like maths brain, so I was quite good in my subjects. I was never great in English. like, And I think that was also like drilled into me from a young age because I moved to England quite late at six years old. I spoke less English than you know my classmates. So I was always put in like second or third set. And then that kind of carried me along all the way to secondary school. And to be honest, I think it just formed a mindset in my head that I wasn't good at English, not necessarily that I wasn't good at English. In terms of friends, I very much quickly got into, let's say, the, the cool groups or, you know, as you would perceive at school, just because I'd kind of just be the entertainer. That's what I'd be. I'd be the entertainer, also a friend. But um, yeah, I feel like that was kind of my place. And especially in terms of teachers as well. Um, that's, yeah, kind of how I acted at school. People ask me on my Instagram whether like I enjoyed school. I very much did. I loved it. I loved learning. I loved lessons. I didn't enjoy, let's say, English classes. I, I didn't like the probably flexibility of a right or wrong answer. Math had always been my strong part. In terms of GCSEs and A-levels, so kind of the qualifications you do when you're 16 and 18 years old in England, I basically, I'm really good at something if I love it. So the subjects I was good at, I got basically like A-stars in that. And then subjects that I didn't really like, I just got like a C or a B, like still great. Um, but that's just how my mind works. Like if I really enjoy something, I'm really gonna push it. Um, 
well not even push it I just I find it very easy to learn and then people actually always ask me whether I went to university and basically what happened was is the exact same time that I applied um, to go to university I started my social media account it was the summer of going into like just about to go into university so I started my university course it was a part-time one to do in London so it means you could do it from home it wasn't in like a campus where you stayed in accommodation you did it from home and you go into the lectures when I started with my social media account my social media account just blew up so quickly and I was like wow like maybe this is a not necessarily a career I don't want to stop it but I also Okay, I loved watching Gary Vee when I was not even younger, like I still do, but a lot around this time. And he always said like, don't mold with the societal pressures or like the pressures from your parents. And my mum was very much like, go to university, go to university because she didn't and she thinks that it would have helped her. I think maybe she's always been self-employed and she knows how hard it is. She was just like, Anna, I want you to get a degree. And obviously everyone at your school's like, yeah, we're going to university. It's like the normal to go to university. And I was like, I just, that's one part that I've always had confidence in. Like, if I don't want to do that, I don't need to do that. And I had enough belief in myself that something else could work. And I could also see something else was working. The social media stuff, it was starting to bring in a little bit of money, but not even money, just opportunity and building something. So within one month of university, um, I just stopped it. I did nutrition, by the way, and because it was essays, it just felt like I was doing English and I hated it. I can't um, collect my thoughts and write it in a very nice sentence. I think it was definitely the right choice to do. I don't think I could have maybe been where I am today without it. Um, but I think there's also other effects of it. I think in terms of my friends, my age group is in a different life path. The life path, I don't really know how to call that, journey at the moment. So all my friends are kind of at university, they're doing their stuff at uni every day and stuff. And, and I'm here, you know, living in London, doing quite a lot of different stuff. So I think my friends, I maybe am with different age groups. Like my housemates, she's 24. Yeah, a lot of my friends are maybe different ages. Um, but yeah, no, I like that. But one thing I would love is to like, just hang out with my friends a bit more. Um, but I see them in like the holidays and stuff, which is nice. Going on to the next topic I kind of want to talk about is food and exercise as a child. If you don't know, um, I struggled with an eating disorder. Um, well, I'm going to say disordered eating for a few years or maybe like a year until I got into, let's say, a very bad place. And I've basically been into like recovery the last year and in a lot, well, a lot more positive place now in my life. And... I kind of want to go down to where it kind of started in my childhood. The earliest memory I had when I was younger with, let's say, my body was, I think, six years old. So when I moved to England and probably in the summer when we're all wearing skirts and I would just look at my legs and look at my friend's legs and go, why do they have these like skinny bony legs? Or not even skinny bony legs, just why did they have smaller legs and I had bigger legs? Now, I want to emphasise, like, emphasise the fact that I was not a big child. In fact, I was tiny. I just had some muscle because I played loads of sports when I was a child. Um, yeah, I just literally had the tiniest bit of muscle. Yeah, I already had that judgment on myself when I was younger. And I remember even telling my mum, I was like, mum, when I sat in the toilet, why do my legs spread out? Like, are they that big? And she'd be like, Anna, you're crazy. And, well, to be fair, actually, she didn't say that when she was younger. She'd just be like, yeah, they are a little bit bigger. Like, And I really took that personally. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm not the only one seeing this. Now talking back to my therapist, it's actually all a 
ripple effect of what I was actually going through. If you think about when I was six years old, it was the exact time that I separated from my dad. My idol, my my person that I had to people please was gone. Um, so that's when that kind of self-doubt comes in and that low self-esteem. Um, I do want to mention though that I really took no action on this. You know, your girl had no idea what a calorie was, that exercise helped you do more, that healthy eating helped, like nothing like that. Uh, I probably just thought it was genetics or something and I just thought I was doomed or whatever. Um, but yeah, so I, I had no idea. I was brought up in a very healthy household and I think that had a contribution to my mindset of good food, bad food. My mum was kind of that nature valley, healthy granola, banana chips mum, <laughs> as I would describe her. No, but I completely respect her. You know, she didn't have any past disordered eating or anything. She just... She was a yogi mom. She enjoyed her health stuff. So yeah, we'd have maybe some treats on the weekend, but it was very much like healthy eating in the day, um, or not even the day, in the week. And in terms of exercise, I was very active. I did lots of sports. I remember when I was younger, I could never stick to one sport. I'd do karate for two months. I'd then do um, trampolining, gymnastics, tennis, swimming. The one thing that I always loved was um, gymnastics. Gymnastics and dance always stayed with me for some reason. It's just something that I love to do. In terms of the body dysmorphia carrying on, I really didn't think much of it. I, I just remember always thinking I was just bigger than my friends. Now looking back at it, I'm kind of mad because I'm like, well, you really weren't. But yeah, it was just always that perception that I was a bit bigger. And then I would say probably at 15, 14, I, you know, I started taking healthy eating into my own, not even into my own hands. I was brought up with it anyways. I would just, it was my usual habit to make smoothies and salad bowls. Like it was just kind of what I did to do, what I was, sorry, what I was used to doing. Thinking about it now, so basically what happened was, so six to 10 years old, I didn't really talk to my dad. Um, yeah, and then I remember on my 10th birthday, my dad called me up and in my mind, I had never thought that I'd go back to Aruba. I always thought in my head, when is dad gonna come to England? You know, when am I gonna next see my dad? When is he gonna come visit me? And he called me up and he was like, do you wanna come back to Aruba? And in my head, I was like, I'm gonna go on a holiday, like with me and my mum and my sister, you know, us, you know, with a single mum, your holidays are camping at Wales or, you know, camping at the local field or something. So to be able to go on a holiday abroad to somewhere hot, let alone the Caribbean, like that was the coolest place when you were younger, still is. And I was so excited, so excited. Um, so yeah, I went back when I was 10 years old. I remember it was like year five. And basically what happened was, is for the next seven years, I went back once or twice a year. So sometimes for Christmas and it would be, the best times. I remember I absolutely loved it. I went for like, when I was younger, I went for like six weeks because obviously it was the only time I got to see my dad. But I definitely feel like that impacted mindsets that I have now and it kind of brought back that people pleasing tendencies. So me being Anna, I had, you know, Anna all year round. And then when I was with my dad for that first six weeks, four weeks um, in the year or in summer, I'd be on, top shape, top shape, you know, doing anything my dad wanted to. If he said, I remember all the time, like he'd drop us off at the pool and he'd have to work all day. And then we'd be like, oh, you know, when are you gonna pick us up? When are we gonna go out for lunch? And he'd tell us the time, he'd be like, yeah, I'll be there. He wouldn't, he'd be like two hours late, three hours late. And we'd be like, I'd be like, oh, it doesn't matter, dad. And my sister would be so mad. I'd be like, no, Meg, you can't be mad at dad. Like you can never be mad at dad. He's trying his best. 
even though he'd be like, I was late to come pick us up or something. And, I, you know, I was like, oh, no, it's fine. We're by the pool or something. Always making up little excuses. Um, yeah, I remember my sister would always have, like, these controversial... Actually, they probably weren't even controversial. They were normal conversations to have about the news, about topics, and I wouldn't dare to join in. I was like, there's no way that I'm going to have a conflicting conversation with my dad. Like, no way. There's no way I'm going to put something in between our relationship. Oh, I remember looking back, I found this notebook must have been when I was moving house six months ago and it was a piece of paper and it was probably when I was like 12 years old in Aruba and I said summer diet and I drew a picture of like a stick man but it was like a fat stick man and then I drew an arrow to a skinny skinny stick man and I said this is the workout you're going to do so these were like I wouldn't do this any time of the year, but when I was at my dad's, I had this need to suddenly, I don't know, like make sure that he saw me like, go, I would, I'd wake up, I'd go on a run and then he'd be up getting like, you know, doing his work stuff. And he'd be like, oh, what'd you do? I was like, oh, I just went for a run. He was like, wow, that's so amazing. And then I'd like show him my handstands and I'd make a smoothie and and it was like, he would congratulate for me for that. And that subconsciously made me probably think that that was good even though he loved his desserts and he was kind of big, like, you know, he was a bit lazy and everything, but me doing that kind of got his attention. Um, and he always kind of, you know, he was a hard worker. So I think, you know, at that age, I clearly didn't have a job, but that was the stuff I could work hard at. And he appreciated that. One thing that has also come into my mind, and I do want to say, I'm probably going to skip topics a lot or just move around because that's just how my brain works. And we're just going to go with the flow. And that's kind of what I want on this podcast is to just be able to like jump on topics. But one thing that I've actually never talked about, I think on my social platforms are how I was as a child in between, probably from six, well, not even six years old, from like four onwards, I was a very sensitive child. When I was two years old, my mum actually got me tested for autism. At, I think, nine or I think maybe eight years old, she got me tested for OCD. So there was a lot of signs that there was something else going on in me. I've always been very sensitive with my hands and touch. I know some people were very sensitive, let's say, with sound. Mine was never sound. Mine was definitely with how I was feeling, my teeth, my um, my feet, my hands. Um, I'd be very sensitive to clothing. I would cause an argument if I had to wear pants, if I had to wear socks. And obviously in Aruba, you could do that, right? You could just wear no socks. You could walk around barefoot in the Caribbean. But, you know, when you go to England, you've got to have your shoes and socks on. You've got to get ready for the day. You've got to wear tights. I remember I did not let myself wear tights. I would be in the snow and I would have ankle socks on. I was basically described as, like, the devil child. My mum doesn't like me saying that now because she was like, no, you weren't. I was like, mum, yes. Yes, I was. Um, I just caused a lot of the family arguments because, let's say, in the morning we'd be getting ready for school and... And I didn't like the way my shirt felt on my arm. And then I had to put my cardigan on and my school bag wasn't right. And, and it'd be uneven straps and one shoe was tighter than the other. I could feel every tiny thing and I couldn't help. But it was like this just frustration in my chest. And I couldn't just help but express myself. Now the issue was is that my family just didn't have time for it. My mum was a single mum. She needed to get to work. She needed to get her kids to school. And she was like, I don't have time for this this crying child that that is upset all the time. So she was very much just like trying to just be like she she was very loving by the way she was she was amazing at what she did but everyone's always doing the best she can and but well they're doing the best they can and yeah so she was just trying to like 
calm me down and get me out. And then my sister, oh my God, did she hate it. She would just sit there like, what is going on? Obviously like all the attention was going to me, but at the time I did not feel calmed down at all. I just felt more riled up because I also, I was always thinking about what other people were thinking. So while I was getting upset with myself, I was always thinking, oh my God, my mum's so annoyed at me. My sister hates me, all this stuff going on. But what was funny is any time that I went out into public, I'd shut it down. At school, I would not let anyone see it. In front of my dad, not let anyone see it, which again, which is why I had this difficulty with my sister because she would see me be this like out, like tantrum kid at home with my mum, obviously because I felt safe with my mum. I felt loved by my mum and that I didn't feel my mum would ever walk away. But with my dad, I didn't feel like that at all. So I had to hide that part of me. So anyone that ever comes close to me sees that part. Like my true best friends, we'll see when I have to change my clothes a thousand times, not liking what I'm wearing because I don't feel comfortable. And I feel safe enough to be like that. But with other friends, I'll put on an outfit and I'll just be like, right, Anna, like you you got one change and that's all you can do. So yeah, clothes have always been an issue. Whether or not it was how my body was when it was younger, it was, what are people gonna think about my clothes? Do my clothes look right? Not like I had amazing fashion sense anyways, but, um, yeah, just always thinking about it was I, I, like, it's a usual thing for me to get changed 10 times before I get out. You know, what bra am I gonna wear? Is this uncomfortable? This top's not nice. I don't like the way it looks. Um, yeah, and then obviously that kind of, as it got older, it got even more complicated because I started actually hating my body because of it. Not even because of it, but I just thought, oh, you know, I don't like my arm showing or I don't like my legs in this. Or I don't like my cellulite showing. So there was a lot of other things. That side of me, that tantrum side of me stopped when I was around like 12 years old. Um, I think going into secondary school, I just knew that I couldn't be like that anymore. So I kind of just sucked it up. Now talking about to my therapist, um, she goes, you were just actually suppressing it. You know, it's just things coming up that inner child of you just needing, I don't know that, that, that inner frustration or that inner chaos going on. And because I just suppressed it for so many years and what's actually interesting, the last four months, this side of me has actually come back up, which is why I think it's back in my brain again because I kind of forgot about it. I forgot I was that type of child. And then the last four months, um, since being more supported by the people closer you know, around me, that part of me has come up. Now it's a scary thing, but it's actually also a good thing because my therapist, I'm always gonna say my therapist because she makes me understand myself so much. Um, but those parts of myself are healing and processing. And and I think that's probably why you'll see me wearing the same clothes a lot because it makes it easier if I can wear the same tracksuit every single day for a week. I don't need to think about what I need to wear. That's why you're always, everyone, you know, not everyone. Sometimes people make jokes like, oh, you're wearing that again? I'm like, yeah, I am gonna wear that again because I don't need to think about what I need to wear in the morning. Um, I remember talking to Ben, Frost, ben Francis about it. Um, he was like, yeah, I, I wear the exact same clothes every single morning so that I don't have to think about what I've got to wear in the morning. I was like, I love that. I need, I need to just own that. So I might just get like the exact same, I might just get matching tracksuits so I can just wear the same thing every single day even more. I actually want to go into whether or not I like being feminine or not. When I was younger, I very much wanted to be child, like didn't like that feminine side. I remember when I was like going through puberty, I, sorry, I'm not going to swear on this podcast. I hated it. Um, I hated the idea of boobs. I hated the idea of starting my period. I hated all of that. Um, and I went through this real tomboy stage and my friends actually started calling me Andrew at the time because I'd always wear these like massive basketball boy shorts and these t-shirts. And I loved it because I didn't have to think about what I looked like. I could just, 
I was just that kid that liked to play in the park. I could just do whatever I wanted to do. There was a switch, I think when I was 15, yeah, 15, probably 14 and a half, um, I started going the complete opposite way. I was probably the most out there girl in, not most out there girl school, but I had maybe a little rep at school. You know, I would wear the revealing tops at parties. I'd wear short skirts, the bodycon dresses. I was just that girl. You know, I also had a fairly good body. Like, you know, I was just showing off what I had. I don't know. But now thinking back at it, it was definitely that validation from men. You know, how many years had I gone without, you know, I always had my daddy issues and now it was like, right, boys are now interested because before that boys hate you, right? And you hate boys. And then you go into that 14 teenager, like mini teenager stage and they're starting to get interested in you. And I saw that and I and I fed off that. So yeah, I'd, I'd pose your pictures and, and whatever. Yeah, I just remember myself even at 17, really into that. And then what happened was, is when I was like 18, well, 17, 18, I got well, one of my boy, my last ex-boyfriend. Well, because it was toxic, I, I didn't really go out anymore and I didn't seek that validation from other men. That side stopped. And since then I hadn't gone back to the place that I was before, that that keep needing to like, oh, I'm gonna wear this so I can impress that. I think one of the reasons why I always wanted to lose weight was because I wanted to look less like a woman. I naturally have a very curvy figure. I have boobs, I have butt, whatever. And I kind of just wanted to be a child. And I've talked about it to my therapist and it was just that wanting to go back to being a child. So when I lost weight, I loved it. I got flatter, I got, I literally had a body of a child. And that was when I was like 18, that was when I was 19 years old. Yeah, and obviously that's when you're kind of going into the woman's stage and I was almost going back. Now I'm finding that middle ground of, I don't want to please men in that way, but I'm also, I don't, I, I also don't mind that I've got, I don't know. I don't, I like going out and dressing up, but I'm also going to probably wear baggy jeans most of the days and sweatshirts and baggy clothes and, you know, half the time looking like, a 12 year old boy walking around but that's okay with me and it's about finding that balance you know one day you might find me in a, a full baggy outfit the next day I might be in a bodycon skirt or in a bikini like there's just that mix and match which I feel like now I found that balance and and definitely not wanting to please men in fact I think I went through the last probably two years I went through this mindset of I hate men and I don't want to impress them which probably linked up with my losing weight side um I, I kind of wanted to push them away which when I did speak to my previous therapist he said it's the exact same oh I'm gonna burp again <laughs> it's the exact same mentality of wanting to attract men for the validation of them and then pushing them away because you can't you just oh no I can't have that at all and he said it's the exact same energy you actually need to find that middle ground where you are okay with yourself you're okay with you know, attracting them because, or attracting whoever you like, but also not completely pushing them away, which I feel like this is where I am now, which is a good place. So yeah, I'm just gonna like hop back into another thing I wanna talk about and that's um, my dad and my relationship with him and like our timeline of being together. So yeah, so when I was six years old, moved away from the Caribbean, lived in England for four years, didn't see him once. Then at 10 years old, I moved, well, I didn't move back. I went on holiday to go see him with my sister. And we basically went once a year for the next seven years. So I saw him like seven or eight times. I think we went sometimes for like twice a year. 
and I'd see him for like four weeks or two weeks at a time, sometimes six weeks. I wanna say just one story that I remember and it was basically, it just showed like how my behaviors adapted in terms of my relationship with him. I remember, I think it was when I was like 13, I went on holiday with him and we went shopping. Now this was one of the ways that he, I guess gave me attention because he was working a lot and like we knew he had money. He could obviously pay for us to get out and stuff. And yeah, he was honestly like, I would go to Aruba and I would just live this different lifestyle. Like get what I want, buy things, go on these massive shopping sprees. In terms of when I lived in England, I was, well, if we talk about money, I was the most money conscious person, probably because I saw my mum being very money conscious. And I actually had a conversation with her. Sorry, I'm jumping around everywhere. But I had this conversation with her the other month where I said, mum, why do you always like say you want to share a sandwich? Like, I always feel like you won't, you don't want to let me have a whole sandwich to myself. So I was here thinking she was trying to restrict my food. And she said, are you crazy? You can have as many sandwiches as you want. It's just always cheaper to share a sandwich. I go, mum, I can buy you a sandwich now. Like, you know, I'm in a position like she can buy herself a sandwich as well, but it just shows the patterns or not patterns, but the habits that were in from when we were younger. So yeah, going back to the life I was living from the start of my life to 16, 17 years old when I started earning my own money, well, probably 15 actually, um, it was very money conscious. Like if we went to, if I went shopping, I would think about whether I would want a certain T-shirt if it was like 12 pounds, right? half an hour, I would stand there. I would have to lay out the pros and the cons where I'd want this t-shirt, whether it would add value to my life having it. I would, oh my gosh, I was thinking about it so much. And then, so then going to Aruba and going shopping with my dad, I wasn't used to this person saying, you can have whatever you want. Cause normally I'd have to spend my own money, which is why I'd really think about whether I wanted it. And even if my mum was saying, look, I can buy this for you, which, you know, was an occasion, I would still not want to waste her money. So yeah, going back to Aruba, we'd go on these shopping sprees and I was not used to it at all. We'd go to Calvin Klein, Victoria's Secret, get some sprays, um, Nike. Oh my God, like I'd be so excited going to all the sports shops, buy all these running, all these sports bras and 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 sports shorts, which I was just not used to. I used to have like one pair of shorts and a t-shirt to go do my activities in. Um, so it's just an amazing time. Anyways, when I was like 12, 13, it was one of my first shopping trips with him. He told me off. He was like, Anna, you're so indecisive. And like, obviously, I would never want to upset my dad. So hearing him raise my voice at me, I was petrified. And he basically told me off for how I shopped, how I shopped. He said, you're too indecisive. You don't know what you want. We, we don't have time. You know, I want you to get stuff that you want and you're not getting that. And it was like a shock. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And I went home, well, went home, went um, at my dad's house that night. And I really thought about that. And then the next week and basically every other trip since, I completely impressed my dad by the way I shopped. I turned it around. I adapted to the situation. I would go there and I would just walk in like a little boss man, a boss woman. And I go, I want that. I want that. I don't want that. No, I don't want this. I want that. I want two of those. I want that size and that. And my dad loved it. He absolutely loved it. He was like, oh my God, Anna, I love this. I love the way you shop. Not realising that I completely adapted to the way that he wanted it to be. Well, he probably did actually. I don't know. Um, and I can't say that that completely stuck with me, but it, it probably did help my shopping when I went back to England. I knew what I didn't want. Didn't mean that I would go spend my money, but I could easily say, no, I don't want that. Because if there was any doubt that I didn't want something, I wouldn't just, I wouldn't get it. Also, because I knew my dad had money, I kind of just flipped the switch and I was like, yeah, I'll just get it. I won't hurt, like I won't 
get myself in a twist if I don't wear it every single day. You know what I mean? Whereas I would do that if I spent my own money on that. So that was just, I always find that story so funny. The fact that my dad literally raised his voice at me once about the way I shopped and I adapted that and that behavior has now stuck with me for the rest of, you know, the way I act when I go shopping. Yeah, so it went on when I was a teenager and actually part of my men and validation and relationships with men, a lot of it um, formed when I was in Aruba. When I went to Aruba, we went clubbing, we went partying a lot earlier than we would go partying in England. Like you would have your little, um, you'd go to the your friends' houses or you'd go to the field and maybe have a couple of drinks there or hang out with some boys and girls. But in Aruba, like I could get into the clubs and I could be served alcohol when I was 15. Cause when I was 15, I looked like I was 18. Like if I put on the right outfit, I could look like what I looked like when I was 18. Um, Maybe if not older, actually, looking back at things now. Um, so, yeah, I got served. I got to, like, dance. I was, yeah, I was dancing. I was dancing way too crazy, like, hopping on the bars when I was 16, 17 years old. Um, definitely completely different, Anna. Well, I can't say completely different. I dance now, but a bit more PG. Yeah, so then that, I think, formed another side of me as well. And my dad was totally allowing of it. He was like, he loved, like, he didn't love when I was drinking, but he was like, yeah, I'll drop you off the bars. You call me whenever. I'll pick you up at 2, 3 a.m. Like, he was like that, whereas my mom was very different. She did not want me drinking. In fact, she was like, if you're going to drink, don't do it in my house. I don't want to see it. So it's a very different relationship. My dad was like, it's okay. I'm going to drop you off and I will pick you up. My mom says, find your way back or, like, you stay at a friend's. Like, I don't want to see that. So I'm not blaming either one of them, just completely two different things. And to be fair, I kind of liked what my mum did because I just had that freedom. I had that freedom when I was younger to do what I want. And I think that made me less rebelly in a way. Like I was able to be completely honest with her. I was like, yeah, mum, stay at my friend's house till 1am. She was like, okay, cool. She didn't mind that. Obviously, if I told her how much I drank, she wouldn't be appreciative. But she was very easygoing with me staying at friends, me going out, me going walk, me going like... Me and my friend Lily would always go on walks at like 11 a.m. just thinking we're cool. Like, I don't know, it would just be funny. Like she was very allowing of that. I think she trusted me. I think I also convinced her that I was just completely safe. And I think my sister would always get mad at that because she was the older sister. And she was like, I never used to be allowed to do that. But I was like, I would just say what I wanted. I'd be like, mum, I would, I would never say, mum, can I go out to the shop? I'm like, mum, I'm going to the shop. She'd be like, okay, Anna. She always knew I had a mind of my own. Anyways, going back to where I was talking about, um, about my dad, when I was, um, 17 years old, um, we, I just saw him that Christmas and it was going into springtime. And I remember getting a call from my stepmom and completely out of the blue, we were planning to go there in summer. And she goes, well, actually she didn't call me up. She called my mum up because I was at school. And so my mum had to tell me and she goes, your dad's had the stroke, but he's okay. So that kind of calmed me down. She goes, he's in hospital, he's he's a, he's awake, he's alive, it's fine, it's all good, but he is partly paralyzed on the left side of his brain. So his left side of the brain was affected. So he was doing therapy to kind of get moving again. Still kind of had an effect on me, but I don't think I let it have an effect on me. I think I definitely just said to myself, it's okay, he's fine, he's fine. Um, obviously at this point I tried to have more calls with him, although we would call quite a bit anyways, but I remember there was a slight change in behavior. Part of his brain wasn't really functioning as it used to. He didn't have that common sense side. So normally he wouldn't call me at 11 PM, you know, and I remember him like FaceTiming me when I was at a party and I was like, I was like, sorry, dad, can't call right now. 
I'm at a party and then I remember soon after that, like a couple of days later, I don't think we had another FaceTime call, which I think kind of hits me now because I obviously put down the phone because I was at a party and I got a call from my my um, stepmom saying, oh, he's had a heart attack in the hospital and he's in a coma now. So now this is a different shift. This is, now I can't talk to my dad. I, I can't say hey, I can't say bye, I can't have a FaceTime call. And yeah, that hit me. Um, oh, getting a bit choked up now, but at this point, my mom and my stepmom basically decided it's best if I go visit him, go to Aruba because we don't know what's gonna happen now. We don't know if it's gonna be days that he's alive. We don't know whether he's gonna wake up. We just don't know. So within a week, obviously I contact school saying, you know, we've got to go to Aruba. And this was the period where I was studying for my A-levels. So I'm missing a big chunk of study time. And yeah, so we got flown out to Aruba and I remember me and my sister's responses were very different. I remember arriving there and I was pretty much in a shutdown. I was in a dissociation period. I basically dissociate quite easily and I, I go very silent and I internalize everything. And in fact, I don't think I think about anything. And I was like that, whereas oh, I have these two stepsisters and I've grown up with them, by the way. So when I was like two years old, we lived with them. And I my dad had um, lived with um, Dorette, which was my stepmom, with two sisters, well, two daughters, Jade and Amber. And they were basically, it was like Amber was the oldest, then Meg, my sister, was like a year below, then Jade was a year below and I was the youngest. So all us four sisters were like so close in age and like best friends. We did everything together and I loved it. So it was like, I had my mum and then I'd have my stepmom and my dad and like all our sisters. And my mum got along with everyone as well. Yeah, so I had them and we would always visit them, you know, when I came back every year. So they were like with us in this period of me and my sister arriving in Aruba. It was a, it was a different scenario. It wasn't a fun holiday anymore. And my dad was normally, you know, the holiday guy. He'd be like, hey girls, we're going here tomorrow. We're going to a water park. We're going shopping. We're going to do this. We're going to go to the pool. And now it was, you know, just my stepmom, my stepsisters, all very kind of like weird vibe. My dad, the main man of the household, the party man, the holiday man is in hospital and he can't speak, he's in a coma. So it was very weird. But I almost remember being kind of upset with my sister that she had any sort of joy in this period. She was like, oh, should we go to the beach tonight? Should we go out tonight? And I was like, go out? You want to go out or you you want to go to the beach when like, you want to have fun when dad's in hospital? I couldn't understand. Like I literally just, yeah. And I remember the first day we got there, we went um, straight to the hospital and, that was a shift, that was a big shift from going, you know, Anna completely idolized this man in my life. Um, and I did a lot of things to impress him, to see him like, to see someone in a coma, oh my gosh, like they've got, he had all these tubes out of his mouth, he's lying there, you can't reach him. Um, yeah, it was definitely hard and I remember just big feeling in my throat, big feeling in my chest, just didn't know what to do. But I also couldn't cry at that point kind of stuck and what was interesting actually within that first day I then called my mum and I was just like 
she basically understood that it was impossible. Basically, she just thought in her head it was a big mistake to let her daughters go to see their dad pretty much dying without her support. We did. I did not expect her to come out at all, and I almost didn't want her to. I was like, Mum, you've got work, you've got things to do, you've got your business to run, you can't just come out and look after us. But she booked a flight straight away, and these flights aren't expensive. Uh, these flights aren't cheap anyways. She booked a flight and she came out and I really appreciated it. I really appreciated having that, you know, mother comfort because I didn't have, yeah, I, I couldn't necessarily just, my sister was there for me, but not in the way that I needed it. Every day, come visit my, my dad in a coma, try to be with them, but only one or two of us could be with them at a time. Um, try to maybe talk to him, try to say things. But in this period of my life, I could never admit that I had any issues with my dad. I, I still idolized him at this point. And what is funny now is I, I hold some anger and I hold some frustration. I think I'm starting to let go of it now. Um, but yeah, I, I I basically never confronted him. I never told him how I really felt that, you know, your actions, you, like I always made excuses for him why he didn't come see me or why he didn't call me or why he wasn't there for me. So I was still in this kind of phase of just completely idolizing him while he was on the hospital bed. And something that I've never actually talked about, well, obviously I've, with my sister and my mum, but what made this situation harder, and we were there for two weeks, so he was, basically every day we didn't know what was gonna happen to him. It was like, is he gonna wake up today? I always thought he was gonna wake up. I didn't, I didn't think he was gonna pass, I don't know. It was just something believing, um, I guess that really like belief that I wanted him there, as any child would. And then I remember having conversations with the doctor. They were actually never married. They were engaged, they were soon to be engaged, which I think made it so much harder for my stepmom because finally after like 10 years of them dating or like being in a partnership, they were actually gonna marry. Um, he had only engaged like two, three months before, which it was really hard. And basically we had to have a discussion whether basically to keep my dad alive or not. And that is a hard conversation to have. You're in a very small hospital room and they're basically saying when, if he wakes up, he will not, there, there will be a lot of differences. He's not going to be the man he was. He was, he's going to have to be in an, a caring home, uh, probably like a hospice or something. He's not going to be able to move. He's not going to be able to maybe, he's going to have to have breathing things. Like they basically said there is a lot of brain damage. There is a lot of issues going on. And there's not free healthcare over in Aruba. Same as America, you have to pay for everything. And I, um, and my basically my stepmom completely wanted, he was like, no, we've, we've got to let him, we've got to give him that chance. I knew he'd want to have that chance. And then me and my sister actually had to go is this what my dad would want? My dad is the hardest worker. My dad, you know, he did a lot. He was project man. He he was, he had a name on the island. He was Mr. Archer, the bald Englishman, <laughs> Mr. Archer. You know, he was little workman and he would not want to be in a care home, not being able to do anything, not being able to wipe his own butt, like that kind of stuff. He did not being able to feed himself he wouldn't have the quality of life. So now we're discussing the quality of life. And we basically, I, I had to almost fight for my dad not to be alive in the time where I'm processing my dad dying. It it was so odd, it was so odd. Um, and, and imagine the guilt of even saying that and feeling that, but knowing that obviously he wouldn't be the same man waking up. Um, and after a lot of discussions, 
we still really hadn't got to a position, but we were just like, we also don't have the money to keep him running. Like we already had drained the bank accounts to keep him in the hospital. Another thing was we had been told, me and my sister had been told all our life, you're gonna get university money. Like growing up with no money and only getting money on these holidays, like being spent money on those holidays, he was like, you're gonna have so much money in your savings account, you know, I'm gonna give you this, that and the other. And it was drained within a couple of weeks couple of weeks of him staying in this hospital and continuing being staying in the hospital. Um, and then what actually happened was after two weeks of staying there, I couldn't cope any longer. Um, I was really struggling. There was too much conflict between me and my stepmom. There was too much, I, I couldn't handle it. I couldn't see her anymore. Um, yeah, there was a lot of anger. It really hurt me because we were almost fighting. Um, it wasn't great energy. So I booked an immediate flight home and my sister followed me a couple of days after. And the funny, well, not the funny thing is, I'd say the amazing thing is, I'm not actually gonna say, the thing is, is that a couple of days later, my stepmom walked out the room when my dad was obviously in the hospital bed. And in those two minutes that she walked out, he passed away when no one was in the room. And it was almost like he went when, he didn't want anyone to see him exactly go, which is very much like my dad, very much like my dad. He doesn't want anyone to see his troubles or anything like that. So I almost hold it to the fact that it was good that we all kind of stepped back for a second and then he was able to go. Um, and I, was, I remember I was at the gym with my boyfriend at the time and I just got a call from my stepmom. I was just mid-workout. I was, I was doing okay-ish. Um, I, I just thought he was gonna keep on going for weeks or months, if I'm not gonna lie. I didn't realize he was gonna just pass. Um, and, and she was like, um, your dad's just passed away. And I was just like, <gasps> I didn't even cry, I didn't know what to do. I, I was just there at the gym and I was just like, crikey, what do I do now? Kind of just packed up our things and we went back. But yeah, and then for the rest of the summer, didn't really process it at all, if anything. I kind of went to some coping mechanism, like behaviors, you know, party, not party, but just, that summer kind of thing, um, summer behavior, summer habits. Um, and yeah, I do actually kind of want to go into a podcast, maybe into a, another episode of how I processed him. I think there is way too much maybe going now. I think I've kind of drifted, I don't know. But yeah, that was kind of the, the end of my relationship to my dad. Um, and now I get the joy of having therapy sessions, talking about our years of relationships. Like it all roots back to my dad, our relationships. There are other things, but the main thing is that it definitely had a toll on my, who I've become now. Obviously, um, I got a lot of questions like, do I regret anything? Or I don't think I can regret anything on my dad's side. Cause I think a lot of it was his actions or just how we grew up. But in terms of you know, maybe I would want to have more serious conversations with him. I was never able to speak about anything that I wanted to speak about. Um, but at the same time, I wouldn't be the person I was today. Maybe I wouldn't have gone through the things that I've gone through and therefore wouldn't have been able to share those experiences online and therefore be in the position that I am. So yeah, no regrets on that behalf. I guess I'm going to like wrap up the podcast now. I would love to know if you guys enjoyed it and whether this is like, you know, I think this is the style I'm going to go for just kind of hopping about, timeline stuff, story time, advice where I can, probably more advice as I go through. I think at the beginning, I just wanna, you know, share some stuff I've been through, but I really enjoyed actually just speaking. It's almost like a little therapy session. Hopefully this is a little insight to, you know, 
inside Anna's mind, which is what the podcast is called. I just kind of want to let out what is going on here and I don't really know how to end podcast either. So I hope you all guys have a lovely morning, evening, whether you've been just chilling, watching this on YouTube or whether you're on Spotify, Apple Music, just listening to this while you're walking, while you're clearing up, doing nothing. This is me ending my podcast and bye-bye for now.